Well, it's, it's finally here, the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit that I've been dreading to share with you, patience. Absolutely no one has expressed any interest in hearing about the fruit of the Spirit of patience. Seriously, no one. No one has said they wanted to hear this. You know, we, we've talked about love and people seem to like that. Joy, people like joy. and Peace, they even like peace. But no one has come up to me. No one has come up to me and said, I can't wait for you to get to patience. I, I just can't wait for that to happen. It, it's not happened at all. We, we know we need patience in our lives. We know that we don't have patience. And I think we would just prefer not to talk about it. We don't want to talk about patience. I did a, a Google search this week. And I looked for quotes about patience. And there was a lot of quotes on Google about patience. This one comes from Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft. Bill Gates said, patience is the key element of success. That's, that's good, you know? I think we can appreciate that. Patience is the key element of success. Gandhi, everybody likes a quote from Gandhi. Gandhi said, to lose patience is to lose the battle. Wow, I think we get that one right. To lose patience is to lose the battle. This one is unattributed, but it said, a moment of patience in a moment of anger saves you 100 moments of regret. You agree with that? You've been there? Yeah. How about this one? This is one of my favorites. Patience is what you have when there are too many witnesses. You like that one? I like that one a lot. Patience is what you have when there are too many witnesses. So let's just admit it. We don't like patience. And no amount of me getting up here today and berating you and telling you that you have to be more patient None of that's going to help. And, and really, maybe that's not where we need to start anyway. Maybe, maybe, maybe we need to realize it's not really about us. It's not about what we can do. It's not about how patient we can be. Rather, maybe we need to start with looking at the patience that we have been shown. Because as, as difficult as you might find it to be patient with some people, think about how much patience... God has had to show you. How patient has God had to be with you? You know, when we look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, when we look at the, the fruit of the Spirit, we have the Apostle Paul to thank for those. The Apostle Paul wrote the fruit of the Spirit, and, and that's where they come from. Another one of our favorite passages in the Bible is Romans, thir- or Romans 1 Corinthians 13, which we call the love chapter. And the love chapter, was, as, as that description of love is, is built there for us, it begins with those words, love is patient. And we have the Apostle Paul to thank for that also. Paul wrote the love chapter. So, so what is it about patience? How, we might want to ask the question, where did Paul develop his appreciation of patience. What brought this man to the point where he saw patience as virtuous, where he saw patience as essential to the Christian life, where he saw patience as a key element in understanding love? And could we maybe understand patience? Could we learn to appreciate patience the same way? And I think what Paul would want us to understand for ourselves before we even try to be patient is that before we lose patience with someone else, consider the patience that we needed from God. Before we lose our patience with someone else, consider the patience that we needed 
from God. We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1 today. Verses, we're going to look at verses 12 through 17. If you want to follow in the blue Bibles in front of you, it's page 991. 1 Timothy. Paul writes this letter to a young man named Timothy. He is a young preacher in the city of Ephesus. Paul is encouraging Timothy in his ministry in the way that he teaches, in the way that he leads the church. Paul's also encouraging Timothy in his own growth, in, in his faith. But before he gets into any of that, Paul takes a hard look at his own life, at how far he's come in the faith, and how God has reached us, and how, or how God has reached him, and how God continues to reach us. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with a faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. We read that last statement there in verse 15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. And we think, you certainly are, Paul. We know your sins, Paul. We have a whole list of, of Paul's sins. I mean, he th imagine how bad it would be if everybody knew your sins. And now imagine that they're written in the pages of the Bible for everyone to read for all time. They're found right there in the pages of the Bible. Everybody knows the wrong things that you've done. We have a whole list of, of Paul's sins. We know that he was present at the stoning, the, the killing of Stephen. We know that from his position in that story that he is the instigator of the stoning of Stephen. We're, we're told in the book of Acts that Paul was a persecutor of the church, that he actually received documents that allowed him to go from city to city, find Christians, round them up, and shut down these churches, and even to kill those who professed faith in Jesus. But, you know, but before we lay too much on Paul, I want you to hear what he is saying in verse 15. Paul is actually saying, I am the worst sinner that I know. Because I know me. I know my heart. A few of us read a book earlier this year and last year uh, called Grace is Greater by Kyle Eidelman. And in Grace is Greater, Kyle states, until you understand that you are the worst sinner you know, you will never fully appreciate God's grace. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. You know, we make lists we have lists of bad sins and bad sinners. And thankfully, the media is always there to help us to get our list together. So we know who are the worst people and what are the worst things that they've done. And this week, maybe we point fingers, maybe we point fingers at Bill Cosby this week. A few months ago, we pointed fingers at a guy named Harvey Weinstein. I guarantee most of us had never even heard the name Harvey Weinstein until, until everything that he had done came out. Maybe we point our fingers at Matt Lauer one week. Maybe we point our fingers at this celebrity or that one. Or maybe we make it more personal and we go on a local level and we, we point our fingers at a, at a mother who, who abandons her child and the child is found dead and we just can't understand that. But the reality is, 
We don't know their hearts. We don't, we don't know their hearts. We don't know their pain. We don't know their story. We don't know what leads a person to do those kind of things. But you and I, we know our hearts. We know what we should do. We know what's right. And yet we know that we continue to do the wrong thing. We continue to disobey. We continue to sin. Kyle Eidelman says, we work hard at convincing ourselves and others that we're not that bad. But the truth is, we are worse than we imagine. And the more you push back on that, the more you push back on experiencing the freedom and beauty of God's grace. Paul was able to admit, I'm the worst sinner I know. I am the worst of sinners. And he even gives us a list. In verse 13, he says, I was a blasphemer. I looked at the good things that God was doing and I said those things were actually evil. He says, I was a persecutor. I set out to destroy God's people. I set out to destroy God's church. I set out to destroy faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says, I was an insolent opponent. Those are words we may not use or a phrase we may not use very often. I was an insolent opponent. Your NIVs, if you're following them, they say, I was a violent man. And what Paul is saying is, I made it my business to hurt other people. That's what Paul says. He says, I was the kind of person who set out to hurt other people. You know, your list of sins, your list of the worst sins probably doesn't look like Paul's list, but you have a list. I have a list. And yet, if we were to be very honest, we would have to admit that, that we are the worst sinners that we know because we know our hearts. But that's, that's exactly where you need to be. Because when you realize that, that you are the worst sinners, when we realize that we are the worst sinners that we know, that's when we can understand that we are recipients of God's perfect patience. You know, if, we, if we left Paul at verse 13, he would have been lost. If we left Paul at verse 13, he would have continued hurting others. He would have continued destroying the faith. But he goes on there in verse 13 and he says, but I receive mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. But God's mercy had helped Paul see his sin for what it was. He was not doing God's work. He was not living as he should have been. He was the worst sinner that he knew. And so then in verse 16, Paul restates that. And, and rather than focus on how horrible his sin is, in verse 16 when he restates it, he focuses on, Paul, on God's patience. He says in verse 16, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. What kind of patience does God show us? He shows us His perfect patience. And I know... This is where you say, well, you lost me. Because I know I can't do patience. And I certainly know I can't do perfect patience. There is no way I'm going to do perfect patience. But let's take a moment, along with Paul here, let's take a moment and appreciate the perfect patience that God has shown us. And again, I know some of you have uh, NIV Bibles uh, the NIV doesn't use the word perfect. The NIV says unlimited. I really don't think either one of those words really gets at the idea because the idea is that God gave you the exact amount of patience that you needed to come to Him. God gave you the exact amount of patience 
that you needed. Enough patience to get the job done. Enough patience to guide you to Him. You know, you, you parents, if you have more than one kid, you, you parents, if you have more than one kid, isn't there, isn't there one child who requires a little more patience than all the rest of them? Is it? You guys got that? I have one like that. You'll never guess which one, I know. But there's that one kid that requires a little more patience. Guess what? You're that kid. In God's family, you are that kid who needs just a little more patience. And God is willing as your heavenly Father to extend you exactly how much patience you need. How many times... Have you found yourself screwing up again and again? How many times have you found yourself struggling with the same struggles, struggling with the same sins over and over again, and you found yourself wondering, why doesn't God just wipe me out now? <laughs> why doesn't He just lost it with me yet? Let, let me phrase it another way. How many times have you seen someone else, and you know what they've done, and yet they keep doing it, and, and you, said, you said yourself, I've had it with them. I have had it. I am done and then you wonder, why hasn't God had it with them yet? Why hasn't God wiped them out yet? Why do they keep getting away with that? Because God's patience is perfect. It is the exact amount of patience you need. It's the exact amount of patience I need. It's the exact amount of patience that they need. Before the end of the first century, before, before the end of the first century, when some of the apostles were still alive, people were already asking the question, why hasn't Jesus come back? All you Christians keep talking about how Jesus is going to come back someday. He, it's been years and He's still not back. Why isn't He taking care of His people? His people are being persecuted. His people are being killed. They're being abused. Why has He not come back and taken them all home yet? And Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's the patience you've been shown. That's the patience I have been shown. That is God's perfect patience. There are people in your life that, that He's still working on. And they frustrate you. And they will continue to frustrate you. But can you take a moment and just be thankful that God didn't give up on you? And He's not going to give up on them. So we wait. We wait with patience. We wait. We wait along with God. We wait. And one day, one day we find that perfect patience produces praise. Isn't that great? Perfect patience produces praise. I feel kind of sappy saying it that way. It seems a little weird, but perfect patience produces praise. Look here, Paul has just told us that at one time, he says, he says, at one time I was bad. At one time I was beyond bad. He, he knows he was bad. Just, just like you know your heart. You know your struggles. You know your screw-ups. And Paul said, I couldn't fix this for myself. And you can't fix it for yourself either. Instead, he relied on God who was more patient with him than he could have ever been with himself. And when that happened, what happened when, when he considered that perfect patience, Paul broke out into praise. Look at, look at verse 17. Paul says, to the, king of, to the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 
we call passages like this, <coughs> we call them doxology. It's a Latin word. It means glory words. Doxology means glory words. And every now and then in the Bible, we, we read along and all of a sudden there's a doxology that just pops up out of nowhere. Paul does it a lot. Paul will be talking about a topic, he'll be writing about a particular topic, and then all of a sudden he just breaks out into praise, and suddenly it's a doxology. And that's what happens here when he can't express how grateful he is that God was perfectly patient with him. Paul suddenly breaks out into praise, and he tells us how thankful he is that God knew just how much patience he needed. And there's a lot that we can gain for ourselves in in Paul's doxology here in verse 17. There's a lot that we can gain for our own need for patience in Paul's praise. Paul says, he refers to God as the king of the ages. The king of the ages. The ruler of all time. God is the ruler of all time so he can afford to wait. He can afford to be patient. And if he is our king, then we can afford to be patient with him. He says God is immortal. He is here forever. He says God is invisible. Uh, that was kind of interesting. God is invisible. That, that sounds kind of simplistic to me, but I think what Paul is saying is we can't see Him. We, we get that, right? You, you can't see Him. But you realize what he's saying. He says even when you can't see Him, He's there. Even when you can't feel Him, He's at work. You can trust that He's there. That is so important. Because you know there are those times, there are those times when the presence of God just seems so real to us. There are those times when, when, when you feel like maybe you could even reach out and, and just touch Him, but there are other times when you can't see Him. There are times when, when you can't feel Him. And in those moments, sometimes we want to give up. We want to give up on our, on our patients. Or, you know, we want to give up on, our, on ourselves. There's times when someone has, has let us down again and again, and maybe that someone is us. But we trust an invisible God. We trust that He's always there. I think some of you, some of you would know the name Joni, or Johnny, Johnny Erickson Tata. Uh, it's a wonderful lady. I had the pleasure of meeting her a few years ago. It's just a, a wonderful, godly woman. Johnny Erickson, uh, she's a quadriplegic, and she has this amazing ministry of encouragement for, for everybody, whether they're disabled or not. But Johnny tells this story about a little boy just about a year old, a little boy named Thaddeus. Thaddeus was born with, with a lot of birth defects, and he spent much of his very short life at that point. He had spent much of his life in hospitals and been through a lot of surgeries. One day, his mother came into his room to check on him, and she looked into the crib, and she found Thaddeus laying there, limp and not moving. His respirator had come off while he was sleeping. So she immediately got on the phone. She called 911. The, the paramedics arrived very, very quickly. They swept little Thaddeus up. They, they put him in the ambulance. And as they were getting ready to leave, they told his mother one thing. One thing. Get in your car and follow the ambulance. You follow the ambulance. She got in the car and she watched the ambulance as it drove to the edge of town, as it took the turn, and as it made its way out of town. She followed the ambulance out of town. She followed the ambulance as it made its turn into the local cemetery. And suddenly she thought, why are they taking my baby to this place? Why are they taking my baby to the cemetery? What she didn't know was that the cemetery was the only place in town where there was no tree cover. 
and where there was a flat enough place to land a life flight helicopter. And there in that place, they loaded Thaddeus on the life flight helicopter, they loaded his mother on the helicopter, and they, they took them off to the hospital where he was taken care of. Looking back on that, thinking about what that experience, Thaddeus' mother said, you know, sometimes you can't question, you just have to trust. Sometimes you can't question, you just have to trust. And if you can trust, then one day you can praise. You can praise that God's perfect patience did its work in your life and maybe even in the life of someone you don't have patience for. You can trust in His perfect patience. You know, maybe, maybe you haven't been there for yourself yet. Maybe, maybe all you know for sure today is that you are the worst sinner you know. <laughs> maybe that's all you know for sure is that you are the worst sinner that you know. And maybe you know your failings. You know that you failed yourself. You know you failed others. You know you failed God. Verse 14, Paul says, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me. And I want you to know that the grace of our Lord overflows for you also. His grace is ready to forgive, ready to heal your heart, ready to hold you close even when you can't see Him. We're going to pray here in just a moment. And sometimes it just occurs to me that maybe there's someone here who hasn't experienced that yet. Maybe you haven't come to that point where you understand God's perfect patience with you, where you've not experienced that peace, you've not experienced that overflowing grace, you haven't experienced that boundless love yet. And we want to make sure you have every opportunity to embrace God's love and embrace His patience. I've asked Steve and the elders to go back to my office and they're going to go into my office, the door's going to be open, and we're going to pray, and we're going to sing a song. And during that time, if you need to go back and pray with them and just say, I need to know what the next step is. I need to know where I go from here. They would love to talk with you. They would love to pray with you. We'd love to, to help you find your way to that amazing grace and God's infinite patience that He has for you. Why don't you stand together with me as we pray? Father, I know that there are those here who have they've heard about Your grace, they've sung about Your grace, but they have yet to know and to feel Your grace overflow for them. They are well aware of their sin. They are aware of their failings and how far they are from You. But they don't know how close You stand by them. With Your perfect patience, with Your overflowing grace, ready to forgive, ready to wipe their sins away. And so, Father, if there's anyone here today in who is needing to take that next step towards You. Give them the courage to make that move. Let them know that, Lord, they are surrounded by a church full of the worst sinners who have found the most amazing Savior. We stand here in Your love, ready to praise You with them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.